Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. And here we are back for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, of course, John Rush, uh, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron. Gentlemen, how are you? Uh, anything really going on in the news this week? I'm not too much happening, I suppose. <laughs> Nothing. Not a thing. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, well, obviously, everybody is talking about and will continue to talk about for a few days the debate, the first of the presidential debates between President Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, this was a slugfest, to say the least. And uh, what we're going to do, obviously, is spend a fair amount of time in this hour debating and analyzing and kind of picking apart that debate uh, and exploring this in an honest, intellectually honest way. And then also, if we get time this hour, we may get into some more detail about some of the accusations from that New York Times article about uh, Donald Trump paying only $750 in taxes for 2016-2017 and uh, not paying any taxes for 11 of the last 18 years, you know, this type of thing, federal income taxes. And so, uh, but of course, the big thing, the big news is the debate last night. And Gentlemen, I just I kind of want to throw this around the table. I, I want to give get get some general overviews first of all of what everybody thought. So some basic takeaways, and then what we'll do is start peeling back layers of the onion and getting down into some of the specifics. I don't mind telling you that uh, I'm a big Trump supporter. I absolutely am cheering on the president. I very much want him to win uh, the election. And I know that there's a tendency to try to uh, put a positive spin on everything. But the truth is that uh, I was really disappointed and frustrated with how the debate went. I saw a golden opportunity for the president to score a lot of points with uh, with undecided voters, with uh, independent or apolitical types who tend to lean Biden, and also for suburban housewives. And I saw those opportunities missed in a strategy that, quite frankly, I don't think was a smart strategy. His debate coaches were Rudy Giuliani and Chris Christie, and it was obvious that their strategic attempt was, let's get Joe Biden to implode by attacking him, steamrolling him on a regular basis, and so with the constant interruptions and whatever, and let's just hit him with zinger after zinger after zinger, and that'll throw him off his game, when in fact, what I think happened was it actually rescued Joe Biden and gave him a lifeline because the best way to get Joe Biden to implode is to sit back and let him try to fill two minutes on his own because that's where I see him not being able to do that. And I think if Donald Trump had just done a rope-a-dope, backed off, allowed Joe Biden to talk during those times, Joe Biden would have shot himself in the foot with his own gaffes and, tr and stumbling and uh, grabbing for words and misspeaking and such. Uh, but instead, he came across Donald Trump, I think, as uh, a bully and a steamroller guy who was leading the effort in crosstalking. And all that did was turn off suburban housewives that he had an opportunity to reach. Now, with that said, I think Chris Wallace was terrible and typically biased. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, uh, interrupted a lot as well, but it was Donald Trump who did the most of it. So I just saw a frustrating missed 
opportunities on the part of the president last night. And I don't know that he destroyed himself with this, but I certainly don't think that he helped himself. Now, I may be looking at this dead wrong. Those are my immediate observations. Let's run around the table uh, if we could. John Rush, let me start with you. Uh, John Rush, Rush to Reason, of course, out of Denver, Colorado. What's your takeaway from last night in a general sense? General sense, I think, oh gosh, so many thoughts. Number one, I think uh, as much as I love Donald Trump and I thought he did a, a pretty fair job across the board, there were times where I think he should have let some of the attacks from Joe just maybe roll off of his back and just kind of move on, or you could have made one, you know, one little comment. I think he should have. You know, this is my opinion, and get you guys' opinion as well. But I think he should have let Joe talk more. The more you let Joe talk, the more of a hole he even digs himself into, exactly. where you really don't have to do much. You just let him talk, and he'll talk his way into the hole, not out of a hole. And right. so I kind of wish there were times, but I think one thing that Donald Trump needs to learn, and it's it's understandable. I get where he's coming from. When Joe said that he wasn't smart, it just sort of flipped this switch with Donald Trump to where he was from that point forward really kind of on that attack mode of, I'm going to show you who's smart, buddy. I mean, that's really kind of, in my opinion, what happened. But, uh, you know, overall, here's my thought. Do I think it swayed any voters any way, shape, or form last night? My feeling is I think most everybody knows who they're going to vote for heading into all of this stuff. I think some folks are watching it. There may be a few folks on the fence. But by and large, I think most people have already figured out who they're going to vote for anyways. This is just part of the dog and pony show that we do in politics. I don't think there's any real solid substance that comes out of this to sway voters one way or the other. And the only thing I really, I mean, I agreed with a lot of what Donald Trump said last night. But at one point when he said, Chris, am I debating you? or Joe Biden, that was a really great statement on his part. Yeah, very true. Uh, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of the People's Republic of California. What was your takeaway from last night? Echoing everything that you, John, have said up to this point. I mean, the the idea, I think, if you had to pull a couple of, excuse me, a couple of concrete tangibles from it, um, first and foremost, the president did a credible job. He could have done a better job in terms of taking his foot off the gas a little bit in some places where his natural tendency is to go after and, and to attack. And I think this is something that the Trump camp will work on for the next debates is the fact that this is a different position for him. You know, he's always in attack mode. And when he was not the incumbent four years ago, he could go after Hillary Clinton and make some really great zingers and one-liners. That's the, uh, the challenger's role to be able to do. And Joe Biden does have that kind of uh, bias from the media coming in to the fact that he's the challenger, but he's also uh, kind of the incumbent when you get right down to it because right. he did spend eight years as vice president. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a unique situation for him. Uh, to, to Regarding the, the, the debate itself, though, I have to admit the thing that was the most disappointing, I mean, the shouting back and forth, whatever, my daughter and I were texting my oldest daughter back and forth, and she said, man, I thought 2016 was bad. This is just a, you know, a, a complete mess. But the thing that was the most disappointing to me, and I would love to get your guys' take on it, too was I thought Chris Wallace was better than that and quite frankly I just I'm tired of him you know I mean he he's a he is a Democrat most people know that he's a very moderate Democrat I think he's one of the most fair interviewers on network television I'd watch Fox News Sunday over meet the press and face the nation and all that stuff because he does such a good job and I thought he was a disaster last night he I was mean, he, 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 he didn't control a single thing like, a, all, like somebody should all. there were 35 times or whatever where he was interrupting President Trump he didn't even try with Joe Biden I thought dude I mean I don't know who got to you but this well, is and he this, fed the questions to Joe Biden half the time yeah I mean this this right. was this 
was uh, for me. This was on par with John Roberts flipping on Obamacare. I mean, th- I expected so much more from Chris Wallace, and I I was frustrated with the president for the interrupting part and you know the kind of schoolyard bully part. I was thoroughly disappointed with Chris Wallace. Yeah, uh, Neil Boron, Neil Boron live, Buffalo, New York. Neil, what was your take on last night? Well, probably like everyone else, I I was annoyed by how much yelling and screaming was going on. I mean. Uh, I thought that there was tremendous opportunities for the president to score big points, and he didn't. Um, not not often enough, anyway. We can talk about some of that, particularly like when he began talking about when ra- the issue of racism came up in the black community, and he's done a tremendous amount for black Americans, and I thought he just missed an opportunity to score points there. Right. Um, but, you know, just kind of getting into the petty, uh, you know, you're a liar. No, you're a liar. No, you're a liar. Like, I thought I was listening to a lunch school bully take on a poser in some kind of an argument, you know, and, hey, I'll meet you at the fence after school, and we'll duke it out. Like, it, it just got silly after a while and i actually felt grieved to some degree to think i mean i'd like to think historically that the people like lincoln you know um and jefferson and others were great orators and debaters and that that there was uh, some sense of decorum and decency that went on yeah yesterday was just it like we've come to this this is what it's down to um joe biden exceeded expectations in my mind simply because he didn't come off as you know being as in you know, lost in a dementia fog as he has on some other occasions. So I don't know what caused that. So anyway, I I think in a way it was a tie um, only because Trump, I would have been the favorite in my estimation. I thought he was going to just steamroll him overall. And I, I think he didn't score the points that he should have. I, it was just kind of embarrassing and sad in my mind. Yeah. And the, it really is a shame that, uh, the President Trump didn't allow Joe Biden to, uh, as John said, dig his own hole because that, that's that's exactly what Joe Biden would have done. The best thing would have been for Donald Trump to just sit back, look at his watch and say, go, Joe, two minutes. Let's see if you can get through 120 seconds without exposing your dementia. Yeah, he needs to learn how to be a little bit more, I know maybe diplomatic's not the right way to say that, but, you know, for example, when the conversation came around about you know, uh, Joe's son that was in the military. And, yep, right. you know, Donald could have easily said, you know what, Joe, you're right. I really appreciate his service. I appreciate his service to his country. But you know what? Let's talk about your other son who's a total screw-up, who's yes, done nothing yes. but milk every other right. government out of money. I mean, I, I would have responded in that way and not just attacked Hunter right off the bat. Acknowledge the one son, pay right. your homage, but then move on to Hunter. That's a very good To point. me, that was the low point. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Hang on a second, guys. Go to, we're going to a short break, and then we'll pick it up from there. More uh, with John, Roger, and Neil, and myself, Bob, on the National Crawford Roundtable. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthforlife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truthful Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable podcast uh, with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco, talking about, of course, the debate between Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden, the Wren and Stimpy debate. And so the uh, yeah, you know, the, the Hunter, the Hunter Biden part of this that 
that you mentioned. I agree with you that President Trump, again, this was a missed opportunity. Here was a chance for him to let let the people who have only seen the, the CNN caricature of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. let them see right. some humanity and say, Joe, I would never take anything away from your son uh, that you lost in his service to this country. And by the way, I have to say, it's really inappropriate for you to accuse me of calling dead soldiers losers and suckers because that's right. not true. And can you name Joe Biden, just like he said, can you name one uh, law enforcement agency supporting you. That was a strong moment on Trump's part. Uh, yep. Joe Biden, can you name one, name one person, then give me a name of somebody who corroborates the lies in that Atlantic story. Name for me one, because I can name for you 15 people, including the people that were in the room, including my current political enemies like John Bolton, who say, it's not true. I never said any such thing. Can you name one person? Yes or no. Press him on that. And when Joe Biden's not able to name, oh, so you can't name somebody, okay? So don't accuse me of something like that, especially accusing me of calling your son that you tragically lost a loser. But now, and to John's point, absolutely you pivot to, but let's talk about your other son. Joe, what would you say if Don Jr. or Eric Trump received a $3.5 million check Okay, from the wife of the the mayor of Moscow, not to mention Burisma, blah, blah. So he he tried to do the Hunter Biden uh, Burisma thing, but he just he did it ineffectively, in my opinion. He had an opportunity to score points with that, but he didn't do it right. Yeah. Well, and the one thing I want to add to all of this is, you know, this is, you know, what we're doing today is armchair quarterbacking for the night before, just like a lot of folks do with sports and so on. And the only thing I'm going to give, you know, a little bit of grace on both sides, and I'll do it with 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 uh, with Joe and with Donald Trump, is they're on national TV. It is the heat of the moment. There's a ton of thing going through both of their minds. It's really easy for us to sit there and say, ah, he should have said this, or ah, he should have said that. And and I will also say that anybody that's ever been in any kind of a live debate like that, and granted, you know, guys, we do this constantly because it's really what we do in talk radio is essentially at times with callers debate back and forth on almost a daily basis. We're, in a sense, almost a professional at this, and we can think of these things even off the cuff in a lot of cases. I'll give both those guys a little grace because, you know, no offense, it really is hard to get up there and do all these things and keep it all and keep your emotions in check. And that, if there's any advice I would give Donald Trump, he's got to keep his emotions in check better. Yeah. Yeah. And can I just add, uh, you know, as an outside observer, it seemed to me there was a couple of times where oh, obviously the president got frustrated with Chris Wallace, and uh, and I do think as well that and Chris Wallace so, was, by the way. yeah, I thought he was horrendous. Right. But that that President Trump was very focused on either Joe Biden being the enemy, or at times Chris Wallace was the enemy. But it seemed he was only looking at or talking to those two. There was a few times, however, where Joe Biden looked at the camera and talked right. to the American people, yeah, and I right. thought he scored points on that because yeah, there was agreed. a sense of connection with people who were listening. I agree. Yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, it, it seems to me one of the other missed opportunities that I thought was really frustrating, and I'll let to get you guys' take on this, is the ammunition that President Trump gave to the CNN-type crowd on the denouncing and condemning white supremacy uh, moment. Uh, what I would have loved to have seen, and uh, yeah, John, to your point, I understand the president's not a debater and a skilled communicator. We all do this for a living, so it's really easy to say woulda, coulda, shoulda uh, to somebody who doesn't do this for a living, you know, speaking. But uh, 
There's some basic stuff, though, that I think he could and should have done. Uh, when Chris Wallace asked him, will you condemn white supremacy? This would he have been said a, yes. Yes, and yeah, I well, actually, let me tell you how he should have said yeah. Now, here's where I would have liked to have seen his inner pit bull come out against Chris Wallace, and he could have scored some, some serious points by, by basically denouncing once and for all the Charlottesville hoax and saying to Chris Wallace, you know something? You asking me that question is implying to the audience that I somehow have refused to condemn white supremacy. And enough is enough between you, Chris Wallace, you, Joe Biden, and this Charlottesville hoax, okay? Uh, And then that's where he says, after Charlottesville, I repeatedly condemned by name the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists. I called them, quote, evil. I called them, quote, repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans, end quote. I said this repeatedly multiple times. And you know something, Chris Wallace? You know that. You know that. Yet you went ahead and asked me right now. So I'll make it easy for you. Chris, for the sixth time Yes, I condemn neo-Nazis, white supremacy, the KKK, and all of them. So, Chris, number one, are you going to remember that I just said that the next time you and I talk? Are you going to get the same amnesia? And then secondly, are you now going to ask Joe Biden if he will, for the first time, condemn Antifa? Oh, Chris, never mind. You're not going to do it. Uh, Joe, I'll ask you directly. Will you, for the first time ever, condemn Antifa by name right now, yes or no? That, now, he could have done a pit bull steamroll like that, I and I, I think agree. he could have got away with it while at the same time uh, letting everybody see, hey, wait a minute here. He's mm-hmm. been lied to about this neo-Nazis claim. Yeah, and, 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 and I agree. And they sort of asked Joe about the Antifa thing, and, of course, the answer we got back was it's just an idea, which, by the way, that had to have been one of Joe's low points. Everybody yeah, that's out big there news knows Antifa is not an idea. That's big news that he said that. Yeah, it is. Two things. That he, two things. He wouldn't denounce Antifa or the riots or the things that are going on, and he would not acknowledge the fact of you know law and order, and he wouldn't name a single police you know, association that's in support of him. He couldn't do any of those. And that was a win on Donald Trump's part. Yeah. Uh, And he could have done, to your point, Bob, he could have done better, and I would have gone a little farther with those things had I been Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, this is exactly, I think that somebody needs to sit down with him. Uh, Maybe sure they are. Maybe John Rush and Bob Duco, actually, (laughs) (laughs) and say, look at— no, no, exactly. But see, bring it up in the next uh, debate if there is another debate. I if know there there's supposed one. to be there's supposed to be two, but this was such a, a raucous occasion. I don't know if it's going to happen anyway. But but that's the point, you know. Get into something that gets anywhere near one of these subjects and say, oh, and by the way, remember, you know, in the previous conversation, and then go after it and make those mm-hmm. points because I right. think you're right. He totally missed the opportunity in all of that. Isn't part of the problem here though? And, and by the way, John, to the point that you were making about. Uh, uh, Donald Trump, and let's give him some grace. And yeah, I get that, I, and I totally agree with you. Trump is used to uh, being a corporate businessman who sits at the head of the table and listens to every, everybody else talk, and then finally he unfolds his arms, points at somebody, and says, "You're right. You're wrong. This is our decision. Next right. on the agenda." That's right. what he's used to doing. He's not right. used to being a politician memorizing talking nope. points. So I no. get that. Uh, but this is one of the areas where I have to say somebody 
has to convince President Trump that he has to take on the discipline to memorize talking points and bullet points, that he's got to do that. When he walked out on stage, here's one of the first things that I looked for. When he walked out on stage, I looked to see, is he going to pull out a pen and start writing down some things real quick to jog his memory and talking points? Because that's usually what presidential debate candidates do uh, because you're not allowed to take notes out with you. He didn't. He didn't write a thing down. And And one other other thing I want to add to that, too, that somebody needs to coach him on, by the way. The other thing he needs to start doing— is smiling. He smiled a few times during the debate, but yeah. then hit that floor smiling, wave. I mean, I realize there's no crowd there, but you're waving to the American public. I mean, you, there's some right. things you could do there to seem a lot less tense and more friendly. Now, I also understand this. He hates these things. You could see it in right. his face. He thinks this is a waste of time. He can't stand being there. I mean, you can see all of that in his face. The problem is that doesn't sell to the American public. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, Neil, wh- what's your take on what he needs to do? And I know we got to go into a break here, too. Well, all right. Well, let's do that. And when we come back, I'll share some of my thoughts. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford broadcasting station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. This is the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. My name is Neil Boron. Uh, I'm in Buffalo, New York today. Bob Duco in Detroit, Michigan with us as well. John Rush in Denver, Colorado, and Roger Marsh holding down the fort in the People's Republic of California. Um, you know, just in general, I think many of the points you guys have already made are important. I, I think less combativeness is necessary. And all, all I kept thinking the entire night was, can Donald Trump do anything to win over people that are either undecided voters? And I agree, I think there's very few of them. I think most people have a general idea who they're going to vote for. But there's been other issues like in the last four years, you know, like other th- all of the rioting, the looting, the burning, you know, like people are tired of this. They want somebody who can lead us out of this back to some sense of normalcy. Yeah, they, the, want to be, they want to be safe, Neil. You're, you're exactly right. right. And I would have focused on that. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we want to know where we're headed with the coronavirus thing. So, so I just think that there was opportunity to maybe win over some people that are either moderates or undecided and perhaps members of special groups such as uh, minorities, you know, blacks, Hispanics and others. And I just think that uh, he missed those opportunities. He hit on a couple things. I mean, he came near to trying to make points on some of this, but completely let it go after that. And I just, I can't get over how much he he could have gained by talking about what he's done for African-Americans no, in this country. And, and even some of the coalitions he's built, people he's got working in his own staff, you know, opportunity zones. Um, prison reform, criminal re- reform, criminal justice reform, a uh, variety of other things that we've even talked about here on this program, and I just thought he missed the entire thing. I know. And, and one thing else I want to add to that, too, guys, get your thoughts on this. At some point, is there ever going to be a Republican or a conservative that can actually get a fix to the health care, Obamacare, screw-up, mess-up that we've been dealing with now for all of these years? I mean, that came up again last night. I love Trump. But would somebody, for heaven's sake, put a plan together that he can talk about? Yeah, that can be sold uh, in an easy way that can be explained in 30 seconds. Yeah, elevator speech of how we fix health care. Right, 
Right. And well, are we ever going to do that? That is a very, very good point because that should be, you know, Trump was trying to throw out some, you know, individual pieces of, hey, we'll get drug prices down, okay, and right. we'll get back. But, uh, you know, uh, pre existing conditions being protected, you know, okay, fine. But no, you're absolutely right. I, I am amazed that after this much time, uh, there's not one clear 30 second, five bullet point definition of here's what the Republican alternative to yep. Obama We're going to do bing, is. bing, 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 bing. And if we get that passed, your health care is going to come down. Right. And for the life of me, I don't know why no one has put that. No I one has figured either. this out. Ronna McDaniel doesn't, hasn't figured this out. Okay. None of the people in the White House have figured this out. None of the, you know, I, I just, I'm with you. And, and with here's, you. What's, here's what I don't understand. Trump fixed a lot of what was going on in the VA when it comes to right. this. You know, they can now go to different doctors. They've got a card. I mean, there's so many things where he actually put the patient in charge of their own health care instead of the other way around. There's one of your talking points on how to fix Obamacare. Exactly. We're going to, yeah, exactly. We're going to take the private health care sector and we're going to do with that what we have done with our veterans right now. And so we've done this and this and this, okay? And then here's the other thing as well. And by the way, part of this, you know, part of the repealing of Obamacare will in fact be a, you know, protecting of pre-existing conditions and here's how they're protected, that insurance companies will be forbidden by law to charge more for mm -hmm. someone in premiums who has a pre-existing condition. That is baked into the replacement package that we have. That's one Correct. of the bullet points. Uh, yep. Make that clear. Get everybody on the same page. Every time a Republican does an interview everywhere, they rattle off the same five bullet points that are connected to the plan, and you sell this to the American public. And why in the world four talk show hosts on a podcast seem to get this, and we haven't heard this after four <laughs> years from the Republican Party? Unreal. Yeah. And it's, did anybody notice in the last 48 hours uh, how many Democrats are using the word illegitimate in referring to the Amy Coney Barrett uh, right. nomination? Right. Oh, it, so somebody's somebody's sharing talking points with them, and they're spewing it all over the media. Oh, I mean, there's God. a coordinated effort there, and that's exactly yes. what Republicans need to learn how to do. They, you know, there always has they been. Can, I, mean, I, I marvel. I have a, a good friend from high school years ago. We, I mean, we're not the best of friends, but we still keep in touch. And his wife is part of the operative with the gun-grabbing group uh, Moms Demand Action. And and one of the things that they uh, are constantly you know, doing is I can tell exactly what Mom's Demand Action is going to do. All I have to do is look at his Facebook feed. If something will happen mm -hmm. one night, and the next morning he's all, what about this, and what about this? And then I can mm -hmm. click onto four different other... These are Facebook posts of just quote-unquote random people. But the talking points are prepared, just like the signs were prepared for all the big rallies at the airports and stuff. Right. Remember those spontaneous rallies about you know building the wall and right. the, you know how much he hates the Muslims? The, the Democrats own the Republicans when it comes to that type of stuff. Stuff, and it's frustrating as all get out because, quite frankly, it isn't that difficult to do if you have a concentrated effort. But the, to John's point and Bob's point, the GOP sits on their hands, and instead, all we got was John Boehner saying, We're going to bomb the again, knowing it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, come up with a solution for crying out I know. Loud. Newt Gingrich is contract for America. Figure it out, guys. Yep. Uh, all right, uh, folks, we're going to we're gonna uh, take a break and continue on with the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable, uh, continuing our analysis of the debate. But then also shifting a little bit to some of the specific uh, claims that have been made this week as well about Donald Trump and his taxes 
and more coming up next. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line from the People's Republic of California. John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Uh, we're talking about President Trump and Joe Biden's Ren and Stimpy debate from the other night. And uh, we'll also shift a little bit of the discussion toward some of the accusations about Donald Trump and his taxes. But uh, first, continuing the uh, the debate analysis, gentlemen, from uh, from Biden and Trump. So I think we're all pretty much agreed there were missed opportunities here on the president's part. Uh, he, he mishandled a, a lot of the debate opportunities that he did have. Chris Wallace was a horrible moderator in this case. He didn't maintain control at all. Plus, uh, he only rebuked and, and challenged and interrupted President Trump. He would not do that regarding Joe Biden. Uh, and that Donald Trump needs to discipline himself to memorize some basic talking points so he can articulate his accomplishments in sound bites in foreign policy, like the Middle East peace plan with UAE, eliminating ISIS's caliphate, what he's done in the economy, mm -hmm. and certainly what he's done for African Americans and minorities, not to mention energy independence. Uh, one of the things that I... I I also thought as well when Roe v. Wade was brought up and Joe Biden actually brought up abortion, uh, you know, once again, I don't want to turn this into here's what else Donald Trump did wrong. But my goodness, this was an opportunity for Donald Trump to turn around to Joe Biden and say, you really want to bring up abortion, your party that supports abortion all the way up to the moment of birth through all nine months of pregnancy? You realize hardly any Americans support third trimester abortions, and you say you are the Democratic Party, right. you signed off on right. the plank? Well, guess what? The plank says no restrictions on abortion whatsoever. That's right up to the moment of birth. How can you justify that, Joe Biden? Do something like that. There's a steamroll moment that at least is a legitimate targeted steamroll moment. Uh, I felt like the president kind of passed up an opportunity there on the issue of life, guys. Yeah, yeah and black preborn yeah, lives and, matter. And, and, oh, yeah. Planned Parenthood yeah. connection, the whole thing. Right. And, you know, to your point, too, uh, Bob, a moment ago, if there is any future uh, debates and I'm like Neil I, I'm my, the verdicts out in my mind as to whether we will or not but if there is Chris Wallace is going to you know going to be like a kindergarten kid compared to some of the other moderators that'll show up and as much as I don't like Chris Wallace uh, and he did a really really poor job last night Donald Trump's going to face a lot worse in the future so he needs to learn yes. how to handle that as well all right by yeah, the way the 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 uh, Biden campaign did issue a statement saying that they are planning on going forward with the next two debates Okay. So okay. There you well, go. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, well, the, you know, it's Bob. Yeah, Bob, I want to just mention something because you you're using the Ren and Stimpy analogy, which I absolutely love. By the way, I mean, if we can get the Doug theme music in here, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> but I have a feeling that the Trump campaign prepared for this like this was Pinky in the Brain. Quite frankly, I mean, they thought all yeah. they have to do is all he has to do is stand up there and be presidential and not really have a whole lot of substance. They weren't prepared for the kind of ambush that they got from Chris Wallace. All the points you guys are listing are fantastic, and if the president just memorizes those, stays to his talking points, I mean, he's just going to destroy Joe Biden in the next two debates if they wind up having both of them. I mean, the Biden campaign saying they want to go forward. And, and, but and by the way, he's better will, prep work, just like last year, and just like last year, he will get better. 
um, as the debates go on, just like he did in 2016, guys. So again, you keep in mind, and I just have to remind everybody, he is running the country. He's got a lot of things going on. It's not like he's just taking all of this prep time to go do these debates while I think he should do a little more of that. He is running the country, which everybody needs to remember. And he will get better in the next two debates. Trust me, there's going to be advisors around him that are you know, as smart or probably smarter than the four of us that are going through the same things this morning that we're talking about. So trust me, he will get better in the next one. By the way, the next debate is a town hall-style debate. So theoretically, it's, it's going to be Trump and Biden sitting there on stools with uh, a limited social distance mask wearing audience that President Trump will be talking directly to people in the audience and probably not so much Joe Biden. So it might not uh, it might be a setting that that lends itself to more decorum. I don't really know. I mean, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see. But uh, which, by the way, I am kind of curious. How do you think this does play out in a town hall debate? How should Trump conduct himself in a town hall debate style format? Because that's what the next one's going to be. Well, and he, you know, guys, to your answer, Bob, he or to answer you, Bob, he did a town hall not that long ago that was with a bunch of people that frankly were not on Donald Trump's side. And frankly, he handled that really, really well. And I wish, and I'm, I'm going to just be bold and say this, I wish we'd have seen the same Donald Trump last night. While I like the pit bull and I like the fact that he comes in and attacks at times, I wish he would have been more of that Donald Trump last night in that town hall meeting uh, that I've seen versus what he did last night. Sure. And by the way, can, can I just say also that for all of the criticism that we're giving Donald Trump for his pit bull attacking and the way that he handled this and whatever, uh, I'm noticing that the media, nobody is holding Joe Biden accountable for some of the really disrespectful things that he said about Donald Trump. Because I just want to remind everybody, Donald Trump, with all of his blustering and bullying and interrupting or whatever, Donald Trump did not look at Joe Biden and say, shut up, man. Donald Trump no, did didn't. not look at Joe Biden and say this guy's a liar. He did not, He's not look smart. at He didn't say right, he did say the smart thing. Uh, but but uh, but he also No, I know Joe started that. Oh, yeah, Joe's he, the one he that actually said, started smart. that saying you're not smart that's and right. in any counterpunch. But or Donald, call him a clown. He didn't, that's what I was going to say. Donald Trump didn't call him a clown. Say, you know, he didn't say, "Oh, you know, I can't even I can't even talk with this clown over here." Okay? I mean, he didn't say those kinds of things to Joe Biden, but Joe Biden did say those things to Donald Trump, and I don't see Biden getting caught on the carpet for that in the discussions, the media, and the buzz that's going around. So uh, Donald Trump interrupted Joe Biden more often than Biden interrupted Trump. Okay, fine. Uh, Donald Trump missed opportunities, uh, absolutely. But Joe Biden lied through his teeth to Donald Trump on national television, accusing him of calling neo-Nazis very fine people, accusing him of calling his own dead son a sucker and a loser, and calling him names like clown, racist, and shut up man. It seems to me that Joe Biden needs to be called on the carpet for that. Well, that's not going to happen because the liberal no. media could care less. Um, and they feel and say the same things about Donald Trump and stories they publish every day. So you got that going on. 
But like to go back to your question about the town hall, I think Donald Trump will do better in that setting because he'll remember he's speaking to people. Like I, I really think, you know, with the lights in your face on national television, it's really hard. You've all been on stage at some point uh-huh. and uh, you've got a spotlight in your face. Uh, you can't see what's on the other side. There were some people in the room, but I think Donald Trump lost sight of the fact that he was talking to the American people. And if I could say anything that might have really helped him more, at some point he needed to turn to the camera and just start talking to people and say mm-hmm. things like, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. We're going to get through this COVID thing. Look at, he could have brought up, honestly, Sweden and Spain, the yeah. two different ideas about how to deal with COVID. You know, Spain is reeling from shutting down their economy and Sweden's back to normal, basically. And just talk to people. Like, I think he missed that opportunity and I'm sad to see it. Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely agree. What do you guys think about the Pence-Harris debate that's coming? Because that's actually the next debate. It's coming up uh, next Wednesday, this upcoming mm-hmm. Wednesday, actually. Uh, obviously, I'm anticipating it's going to have a different flavor to it. Mike Pence <coughs> is certainly much more uh, kind of dignified and, and cordial totally in the way different. that he ta- talks. But uh, Kamala Harris is kind of a pit bull in the way that she uh, – remember how she went after Joe Biden in their primary debates. So uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, that one could be flip-flopped as one. to what we saw last night. If Pence, if Pence just kind of sits back and does his thing and answers the questions correctly and you know, gets a few zingers in here and there – and, and let her dig her own hole, I think he very easily could, could be exactly where, uh, you know, she could be where Donald Trump is this morning in the same, in the same manner. Does he, fight right. ba- does he fight back, though? Because you know she's going to go after Pence. She's going to especially go after Trump. Does he forcefully go back, not with the same style that Donald in Trump In a dignified does, way, yes. Yeah, I think he does. And, you know, the, the format of the debate, too, is going to be, I think, a big predicator as to how this is all going to work out. Because in the vice presidential debate, they're going to have nine, ten-minute segments, and each candidate's going to have two minutes to respond to whatever the questions are. I, my prediction is Mike Pence will be dignified and try to stick with the facts. Kamala Harris will just be an attack dog because that's what you know, we saw in the Kavanaugh hearings and everything else like that. And then she'll be trying for more for style points because she really has no record to run on. And if you no, do bring up right. anything from her time as the attorney general in the state of California... Um, you know, the, the attorney general in San Francisco. I mean, the fact she's just uh, legislate from the bench, attack anybody who's an enemy, just a classic progressive. The key will be how does Mike Pence hold himself? And I think what hopefully the vice president's team is doing in putting this together is they're watching tape of last night's <laughs> debacle and they're saying, OK, how do we bring up all the points you guys have, have brought up? I mean, quite frankly, they, they would do wise just to listen to the NCR podcast for this week right. and say, let's keep bringing the president's accomplishments to the forefront. Let's basically he gets a chance to do a do-over for President Trump and do it in such a way that I think the American people will hear. He has a, you heard him at the Washington Prayer March last week. He has a great way of reading prepared remarks but making them sound, you know, very sincere. I think they are sincere. Um, he does it in the same way the predecessor as the 44th president used to do. You know, I mean, he could, he was very, very persuasive. Even when he was lying to you, he was very, very persuasive. So uh, right. I think Mike Pence has a chance to kind of clean up some of the mess for Donald Trump and we'll see if he can pull it off next week. Yeah. How hey, is Rod- it possible? I'm sorry. I was just going to say, Rod, Roger, because I, I know we got to take a, a break here real quick, and, and I am kind of curious before we shift over to the uh, uh, to talking more about Donald Trump's taxes and, and those claims. I'm kind of curious, Roger, if you think, and then Neil, your thoughts as well. Uh, did, did Donald Trump do irreparable damage to himself last night, or do you think he can get a mulligan if he turns us around in his next one? 
Well, that is a really good question, and I know Neil has some thoughts on it, too. So why don't we take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll dive into that a little deeper here on this edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Dr. Michael Youssef leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Youssef. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Welcome back to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, along with Bob Duco, Neil Boron, and John Rush, the birthday boy, I should point out. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's uh, good to have this discussion today as we do a bit of uh, uh, you know decompressing after this uh, debacle from last night. I don't think it was a debate. I definitely think it was a debacle. Um, is the damage to the president irreparable was the question that Bob posed. Uh, beforehand. I, I think it really depends on what happens between now and October 15 in the press, um, how the Trump administration will spin what happened, um, make up for the president's shortcomings. But I've seen some some postings even earlier today. David Bonson's a, a columnist and a contributor in National Review who said, hey, let's just call it for what it is. I mean, you can't look at this through you know, a red lens or a blue lens. Here's where the president was strong. Here's where he needs to improve. Here's where he missed. And you're going to hear this a lot. Missed opportunities are going to come up quite a bit. I don't know that the damage is irreparable, though, because I was fascinated fascinated to learn that as of this point in the election in 2016, the number of absentee ballots or people who voted early in states where they could vote early that had been counted was in the low thousands. And right now it's actually over a million. A lot more people are making their decisions. A lot more people who have the option to vote early are voting early. And I think a lot of those minds are already made up. So the question is not did he do irreparable damage necessarily, but did he do enough to move those independents, those undecided, those folks in the middle closer to um, to the GOP ticket. I think after last night's performance, he did not, but there's still chance for the Republicans to move in that direction. Neil? I agree. I agree. And I just think uh, it's time that uh, he, they seize every opportunity and stop letting things slip away. I'll give you another example um, that I think could have moved the needle for the president last night. When it, when it got you know anywhere near coronavirus, it was on January. And by the way, it was Biden who said, like, if if the president had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive, right? 204,000 people would still be alive if the president had just done his job. But it was January 31st when, when President Trump banned flights from China. The very next day, Joe Biden called him a xenophobe and a fearmonger for making that decision. And I think right. it was about three weeks later that Nancy Pelosi said that the president is a racist and everybody ought to go to Chinatown. How simple would it be for the president to just say, look at." I banned flights from China because we knew that that was the epicenter of this dangerous and deadly disease. We were protecting the American people. You were trying to impeach me. The very next day, you called me a fearmonger and a xenophobe. Um, that was your impression of what I was doing. I was working to save the country. You were criticizing me and trying to impeach me. Just leave it at that. It was like 20 seconds. He could have scored huge points. So I don't know. Right. I, I just believe when it comes down to this thing that, that the finer points are actually the only thing the president's got to move people in the middle because on the big stuff, people are already decided. Yeah, no, very true. By the way, uh, real quick, did Joe Biden have an earpiece in anybody? No idea. I couldn't tell. Yeah. 
Yeah, I well, make... But I did see him looking down several times when he was quoting numbers. And you said they're not allowed to bring notes, so right. that raised a question. Th- in my that mind. was very interesting for me because unless because he's not allowed to bring out even a piece of paper and pull it out of his jacket and put it down there. But he did no. look like he was looking down at notes, and I don't remember seeing him write that stuff down when he came out. So I don't know. There's con- there's some conspiracies out there that he's got a implant that you cannot see that has the ability you know to help him hear better plus the ability for people to actually transmit things to him and of course we all know that when you're doing that you cannot talk and have somebody talk to you at the same time so you've got to look away and concentrate while unless you're used to doing radio like we are where there's someone talking in our ear at times which by the way is a very very hard thing to learn to do and very few people can do that so in that case yeah he has to look away so I, you know what it it's a conspiracy is it true is it not it's just odd and what you guys just said is is kind of leads me into that it's odd that he did some of the things that he did body language wise which would make you think he's listening to someone talking to him right that's a very fair point and, and just as a side note i think he did far too well last night to not have someone talking to him on talking points i know I know you do wonder about that. <laughs> I'm just I being honest, guys. I really, yeah, no, I really I do feel that way. I know. I, I, which is all the more reason why I wish he would have been allowed to, uh, by Donald Trump to talk for a full two minutes and then see if we can kind of figure out, you know, right. is he being fed information or whatever. So, all right, uh, the uh, we're kind of winding down this, this tax returns podcast, but let's see. Yeah, let's talk some tax returns here. Uh, the New York Times story, of course that Donald Trump paid $750 in federal income taxes for 2016 and 2017. That came up in the debate last night, Uh, as well as 11 out of 18 years, he paid zero federal income taxes. What Donald Trump said last night when asked about this by Chris Wallace was, how much did you pay in 2016 and 2017? And Donald Trump said, I paid millions. Now, if you look at the actual New York Times report, they do report. You got to dig for it, but they do actually report that in 2016, Donald Trump paid $1 million. In 2017, he paid $4.2 million, but it turns Correct. out that these were overpayments. And so rather than taking them in a refund, he decided to leave them uh, with the IRS to go ahead and be applied to future tax debt. So even the New York Times, by their own reporting, admits that, yes, Donald Trump did, in fact, pay millions of dollars for those years. And that doesn't even deal with the, the, the other issues of, of tax returns in general, that when you have corporations, especially real estate corporations, it's extremely common to take uh, profits and invest them back into the company or make new purchases to stretch out depreciation and stretch out losses and apply them to future years and such to, uh, to basically show no profit being made. But even in those cases, Donald Trump still paid tens of millions of dollars over the years in other kind of taxes, payroll taxes, state and local, other federal and corporate taxes, property taxes, real estate taxes, and other things like this as well. So I see this story as one big nothing burger. Once again, uh, a a molehill, less than a molehill, being turned into some kind of fake scandalous bombshell. That's my immediate take. And and I've said this, and I will continue to say this as somebody that has a a lot of returns myself, and it's not even close to what what uh, President Trump has. But you know, I know the tax side of it extremely well. 
Um, I, I consult on this stuff on a regular basis, guys. And, and the reality is there's a saying in business. You're self-employed for two reasons, to make as much money as you possibly can and pay the least amount of taxes as you possibly here, can here, in a legal mm-hmm. way. That's exactly what we do in business. It's what we're supposed to do if you're a smart business owner. And I will also say one, one more thing. I guarantee you I would stand on a stack of Bibles and say this. There's not a single reporter out there that could look through Donald Trump's returns and have the foggiest idea of what any of them actually say without having an accountant there to interpret them because the average American can't look at their own return and know what it says. Yeah, right. That is an excellent point. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't think this is any kind of a story at all, but they've tried to turn it uh, certainly into uh, one. Neil, what was your take when you saw the New York Times story and the way this is being spun? Well, I assumed that what we're saying right now was true, but I wanted to check. So I called a tax expert that I know, a woman who's done my taxes for 30 years. She's she's on local radio and television in western New York State. She's known as the tax lady, and she provided quite a bit of background information for me because I, I said, I just want to know how it works. I'm, I'm not a multimillionaire uh, businessman buying and selling property and refurbishing neighborhoods and employing tens of thousands of people. And by the way, he's paid a massive amount of money in payroll tax and yeah, in property mat- yeah, tax. As, as, yeah, thank you, Neil. As employers, we match every single right. employee's FICA tax alone, not counting all the other taxes that we pay, but FICA tax alone, we match every single employee that works for us. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone knows in a sense that he's a high roller. Uh, but what I mean by that is people that take big risks stand to reap big rewards or big losses, however it happens to go. And when you have losses, you can apply that to, you know, whatever income or whatever, you know, profit your company seems to have made. And, and in the end, it's kind of a wash. So like you put, you surround yourself with really good accountants who help you abide by the laws that Joe Biden passed to deal with how taxes are to be handled. And by the way, there've been five presidents in US history who filed for bankruptcy, uh, Donald Trump being one of them. I mean, he's had big wins and big losses uh, as and, a and, businessman. And, and hang on, I wanna, I wanna make sure that we're clear on that too, guys. He personally didn't file for right. bankruptcy. He had some companies that filed sure. for bankruptcy. There's a big difference there. And he owns over well, 500 course. corporations too. Exactly. I, I'm just saying we've only had 45 presidents, uh, and and five of them, that's one out of nine. Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, William McKinley, and Donald Trump had anything to do with bankruptcy. But my point is, it's not that unusual. This is how business is done. There, there's risk involved in business. And, uh, and the other thing is, uh, you know, nobody in their right mind pays the government more than the government is due. Uh, you render under Caesar what is Caesar's, but not a penny more. And if right. there are tax advantages, you use them to your advantage because that's smart business. Yeah, and, and I want to also add to that, guys. I hate when the left or anybody out there says, well, there's loopholes in the tax law. No, there's not. Huh. It's called tax code. There's 70,000 pages of it, by the way, with 450 words on average per page. It's tax code. It's not a tax loophole. Right, exactly. And by the way, John, and I know we've got to take another break here, but uh, it's important for people to understand the reason that the tax codes are written like this for corporations is for the purpose of trying to help those. Uh, one of the reasons is to help those companies stay alive when they get uh, when they have tough financial times. So it's like let, let's Two let's things. take the losses and let's be able to spread them out. Let's be able to spread out depreciation. Let's be able to defer uh, some losses as well. So. It's, it, 
it helps the company not take too much of a hit and have everything happen all at one time so that that yeah, company right. can stay alive so they get back on their feet and then guess what 10,000 people aren't out of a job and maybe next year and over the next 10 years they'll be able to hire a few more thousand people as they continue to grow instead of being in the history books as a former company there's right. a reason right. that these tax codes exist in the first place John and there's a second reason. I'll explain that in a second, by the way. We'll take a real quick break. National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. And we're back, National Crawford Roundtable, myself, Neil, Bob, and Roger. And guys, there's another reason why the tax code's written the way it is. Bob, everything you said is very true, but really the main reason for the tax code and how it's written is so businesses can make money and reinvest that money into the business, into employees, grow it, raise more money, raise more funding, have more profits. That's what gets the economy rolling. The tax code is written to help out our economy, not the other way around. I'll give you one example. There's what what we call Section 179 depreciation that depending upon the business and what they're doing and so on, there's certain pieces of equipment or vehicles that they can buy that they could literally depreciate the entire amount of that purchase, whether they buy it with cash or they finance it, they can still deduct that entire amount on that year's taxes. And what that does is that encourages them to buy that equipment, which then if you look at all the people that are behind making that piece of equipment or that truck or whatever it happens to be, it employs all of those people. And there's a snowball effect because typically when you get that good depreciation in one year, you're not going to have much the following year because you already used it the previous year. So what do you do? You go out and you buy another piece of equipment the next year and the next year and the next year. And what that does is that funds the economy. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Roger Marsh, what was your immediate takeaway from the New York Times so-called bombshell? Well, when you consider that this is an organization that puts headlines up like uh, with Crosstalk, lies, and mockery. Trump tramples decorum in debate with Biden. That's their headline from this morning on the thing. So I can't, I can't take everything that the New York Times takes too seriously. But just as a case in point, and John talks about this a lot with his successful businesses, and and as a small business owner myself, I have an escort for my broadcasting stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's just so interesting how the media will portray this. CNN saying Joe Biden released his 2019 tax returns that show that he and his wife paid nearly $300,000 in federal income tax on adjusted gross income of $985,000. Not one mention of the S-Corps that they have. Two years earlier, CNBC, uh, Darla McCardo, who's a certified financial planner, says, Joe Biden used this tax strategy to trim his tax bill, and you can too. And then they start talking about the fact that they had more than $10 million in income that they run through their two S-Corps. And so the entities had $3.2 million in 2018. I mean, they make millions of dollars on the side. But if you just look at the federal, you know, the tax thing and whatever, all of which is to reinforce what what Neil and John have been saying, taxes are nuanced, taxes are complicated. And I don't I do not fault for Joe Biden for having an S-Corp. I fault the media for trying to make Donald Trump like he's stealing from the American people because he takes advantage of tax laws. They're there for everyone's advantage. And if you take advantage of them, good for you. If you don't, hey, you're leaving money on the table 
That's not for me to say, but for crying out loud, please stop trying to vilify the president for doing the same type of stuff that they're cheering the vice president for doing. That's a great point. What do you guys make of the other part of the story about the fact that that he owes money to people and it may come due in the next four years? Uh, that's true with every single real estate developer that's right, out there. And if you do it correctly, myself included, when you own commercial properties, you typically have mortgages on those. Those mortgages are serviced by the rents that come in off that particular property. Every commercial loan out there that I know of resets every five to seven years, depending upon how the commercial loan is set. They do that so the banks can make more money. They can have a constant or more consistent interest rate that they're charging you. That's been done in the commercial end of things for eons. That's nothing new. All right. Now, I'd like to, in our last uh, couple of minutes here, guys, I want to get something out on the table regarding Donald Trump and finances, that uh, this is something that hardly anybody ever talks about. But to me, I think President Trump deserves a lot of credit for the amount of financial sacrifice that he's taken on to not just be president, but to be a pro-life, conservative a uh, solidly pro-Christian president that he's been, uh, it's not just about donating his salary. Yes, it's $400,000 a year. That's $1.6 million in a term. But it's actually more than that because most people don't know he still has to pay taxes on that $400,000 a year. Right. So he's paying taxes right. on money that he doesn't even get to keep in the first place. So it's actually costing him more than $400,000 a year. But it's not just that. Think about his properties for a moment before he ran for president as a strong pro-life, strongly conservative, pro-evangelical Christian who was going to completely turn off Democrats. He enjoyed in his properties and businesses an equal mix of Democrats and Republicans as customers, okay? He has pretty much, and he knew ahead of time this was going to happen, that he now is pretty much losing an entire chunk of his customer base in his companies. Democrats aren't going to be going to Trump restaurants and staying at Trump hotels and joining Trump country clubs and having their uh, weddings at uh, and uh, conventions at Trump banquet halls and things like that. So he's given up that big chunk of business. Add to that that during the four years, the last actually five years that he's devoted to this now, he could have been building his company, creating new development deals, negotiating new uh, land uh, deals and such, and trying to grow and build his business. But instead, he's pretty much put it on hold and told his Mm -hmm. kids, you know what, run the business as best you can. Uh, And you know, as sharp as Don Jr. and Eric Trump are, they are not Donald Trump. It's not the same. It's not the same. So he's pretty much said, I'm going to take my business, put it on hold, He could have built so much. How much more money could he have built for himself over the last five years that he chose not to add to that, that during the coronavirus and the Paycheck Protection Program, remember, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats demanded that it had to be in the bill, that Trump's family was not allowed to participate in this. So all of the competitors to Trump's properties and entities were allowed to enjoy government money to help right. uh, them stay that alive. That, that the Trump kids themselves, they don't get. So you've got that. And by the way, here's something that is grossly underreported in the press. Most people don't know that uh, the Trump organization, all foreign dignitaries, and for, for decades, 
foreign dignitaries have come to the United States and stayed at Trump properties, golfed at Trump uh, clubs, uh, stayed in the hotels, Trump Towers and such, because they're considered very high end. All right. Mm -hmm. So for decades, they've done that. For Since Donald Trump has been president, Eric Trump was talking about this. Every single foreign dignitary who stays in any kind of Trump property or spends money in Trump properties, uh, the Trump organization tallies up how much money, how much revenue they brought in from them. And every spring, Eric Trump writes a big fat check to the U.S. Treasury uh, for the total amount that any foreign dignitaries paid uh, to stay at Trump properties. Most people don't even know that. The media doesn't even report it. So these are the sacrifices that Trump has made financially in his own organization and the Trump brand taking the beating it has worldwide so that he can be uh, basically aligned with born-again Christians and pro-lifers and so strongly conservative that he will infuriate the establishment, the Democrats, and the media. I think he deserves a big salute for that, especially from the body of Christ. I wanted to get that off my chest. I'll throw it out to you guys in our last couple of minutes. Well, as Paul Harvey would say, now you have the rest of the story. (laughs) Good day. Well said. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, uh, I, I'm glad I got that rant out there because I think a lot of people uh, need to acknowledge need to this and, and be appreciative of what the yep. president has sacrificed. And I'm so tired of emoluments clause. Is he violating that? He's enriching himself with the presidency. Are you kidding me? No, it's the okay. All right. So where does the time go? Uh, folks, we encourage you, listen to the uh, Crawford Roundtable podcast. The archives are available for you at crawford.live. Also, you can listen to us by subscribing to Apple Podcast, and we would love it if you would review the podcast. Give us some nice big five-star reviews. We'll gladly take them. Or you can listen to Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Roger Marsh, the bottom line of Southern California. Neil Boron, Neil Boron live from Buffalo, New York. Myself, Bob Duco from Detroit. Gentlemen, always great catching up with you. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to next week. Likewise. too, Bob. Thank you. Hey, we'll see everybody. Thanks for listening, folks. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting Company production.